One is named Remy. This is Remy. The other, Bobby Rocks. Bobby Rocks here. Together, they take you on weekly journeys of life from the point of view of Xennials, or people born in the late 1970s to mid-1980s. Their aim is to give a voice to the voiceless. It's the Xennial Odyssey Podcast. to the Odyssey. So we are back in the home studio. We are, we're glad for the experience of taking this entire studio on the road, but we're never fucking doing that again. Yeah, I'm going to give Bob again so much fucking credit. He was a prick and you'll hear it last week. You'll hear it in the episode, but regardless. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, even in this room, setting up is about an hour. So the fact that you we brought the whole fucking thing on the road to Carver, Dartmouth, I'm sorry, and did it in a barn. Yeah, it, it was a thing to say that we did, but it was fucking exhausting and a little bit frustrating. And I think that we realized halfway through the process that we could have just brought people here. No, they wouldn't have fit here. We wouldn't have been able to fit four people in here. And, and with the whole setup, it's too small. It's, well, the table takes up too much space. Bro. But where's the camera going to go? How's the camera going to get everybody? As you see, I was just wanted to make a point that Bob was incredibly triggered by last week, and I just wanted to show you how quickly he gets triggered again by even discussing it. In all honesty to everybody, it, it's going to come out as a fantastic two episodes. It's going to be two fantastic episodes. Sure. It's just the backstory to it and the whole behind-the-scenes stuff was a fucking nightmare. It's just, it was a nightmare. And in all honesty, I, I hated it. And then when I actually was done editing the first episode... I was actually like, wow, this is a really good episode. Yeah, it's, of course. And yeah. it's funny how that the art, let's, I'm just going to be like, you know, my ego here. It's funny how art like works that way. Like the things you, you struggle the most for tend up being like really good. And you know, people who listen don't see the four hours of setting up with sound curtains. Yeah, there's a lot to it. And people who actually have money have other people who do this for them, but we don't. And so we do it ourselves. You know? But that's a part of us being punk rock and this being the DIY approach. We do it ourselves. And, it and I cool. appreciate that. And it was cool, Bob. Like, we, we, you know what? We figured out that we can 100% do that. We can't. We just don't want to. Anymore. Now, if, Hunt, <laughs> if Hunter S. Thompson's ghost invited us out to, to stay on the ranch for seven days and record live, we could do that. But um, Well, that's different. That's, hun that's Hunter. But we're keeping it. We're, but the point is we're keeping it here for a while, guys. It was, it was a great, great couple episodes. And um, we're really looking forward to sharing them. The guests were great. Yeah, and essentially, if people we're gonna have guests on, they can come on once I figure it the fuck out. The, but yeah, it's like the Zoom got, or whatever, and hooking it into the the mixing board. Yeah, we can have guests on that way. So do I mean a fair speculation, Bob? Right, last week was the first time the podcast felt like work. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's what we don't want. But that shit's gonna happen. But we're here. We're back home. I'm so nice to be back here. I'm really happy to just kind of have it be me and Bob again for a moment. Catch our breath, talk some shit. And talk about things that matter to us. So again, we're going to reiterate to everybody. The whole premise of this podcast is for people that are like 35 to 45. 35 to 45 year olds and stuff that are unique to us. Yep. Because we have that unique aspect. Uh, we're, we're between Gen X and we're between the millennial generation, which was Gen Y. Yeah, and we were never properly defined. And we were never properly defined. We fit into both. We have char characteristics of, of both. both. Yep. And we have experiences of both that no other generation has. That, that includes everything. Pop culture, education, parenting. And it, it, take, your, take your pick. Well, think about this, too. I mean, you know, you're making some points about the more mainstream stuff, but what about the terrors that our generation experienced? For the American terrorism and the tragedies, too. Oh, like, yeah, we, we experienced it all. Ruby Ridge, Waco, the first world trade, the second world trade, 
Uh, Timothy rece- McVeigh. The recession, Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. And the cults, everything. Like, so, so, oh, yeah. Cults, suicide cults, and all this shit. We watched it all, you know, and um, we're still here watching it with the rest of you guys. But yeah. that's kind of what we do. We talk about it from that angle. And and I feel like we've been we've been chewed up, spit out, and kicked aside for whatever. And we we don't get properly identified. And that's what, again, that's what this podcast is for. So while we build our foundation with these first, with the episodes we're doing, that's that's the whole point of it. So. And we're naming the fucking generation. That's right. The Zennial Odyssey podcast. Well, Zennials. Yeah. yeah, we're, yeah Zen- we're Zennials. Just, we're taking it, man. So so anyway, we're glad you guys are on the trip. It's going to be ups and downs always, but it's just really great to be back with Bob, just kind of talking shit. And in all honesty, I want to apologize to Rem because Rem got the ire of some, and it wasn't all like his fault. I, there was stuff going on with my real job, which. I don't want this to feel like my real job. Yeah. You know what, Bob? They'll let me own a little of it, too. I can be quite antagonist sometimes, and I even told Bob, I'm coming in this episode as a heel. So there was, uh, I think I put some wrong energy in place beforehand, and then obviously they didn't know how to really help us set up necessarily, so it was kind of us doing everything. I think that, yeah, it was a lot. So I appreciate you saying that, that, that Bob. said, Ian, Ian, Matt, come back on whenever you yeah, want to. Yeah, you guys to. were awesome. I'm being honest. Like, you guys can come on. We could talk other angles of wrestling. We could talk other things, because I know you guys have tons of interests. And me and Bob... Next time, we just won't do it in uh, zero degrees. No, that was brutal, too. And real talk, Bob, I think you and I kind of needed a moment to just kind of, like, not bash heads, but to have a moment. We needed conflict. Yeah, we did, because we haven't had it. And I think that we, we actually are closer because of it. We talked about it. I gave my feelings of what it was. And then your feelings changed a little bit because of some things that unfolded, let's say. But, yeah, it was interesting. But me and Bob are... So anyone who listens to the wrestling episode... If, it's, if you hear the beginning of it, it is funny because me and Bob are kind of at each other and you could hear that. But I think it makes for a great fucking episode. I do. And I'll be the first to say, I can look back in hindsight and go, wow, that was really, that's really funny. Well, you know what's funny about it? It too. wasn't funny in the moment, but it's, fun, it's funny. What I can say now that nobody, people don't see the behind the scenes is the whole ride home. Me and, all me and Bob do is talk shit. Ride to, ride home. That, you that, could cut that tension with a knife. That episode, the whole ride home you was just it. quiet. Yeah. But you I could, mean, you could cut it with a knife. Like but at the end, I was like, yeah, we boys, you know, we always dap up. And then mm-hmm. within a couple of days, we process it. And again, great radio. So, so I appreciate your apology, Bob. And I, I'll be the first one to say that sometimes I, I come at it a little like, yeah. So it's cool. Guess it'll, what, everyone? That's another theme of the show right there. That's conflict resolution. That's ownership. And that's what our generation and re- does. And that's reflecting. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. we do that. And we don't get credit for that. I could have sat quietly and resented Bob for three episodes, or I could have called <laughs> out this week to do some passive aggressive shit. Well, you know, this would have been a this would have been a fantastic episode if you were. <laughs> you just came in virtually, and I'm like, oh well, guess what? It doesn't work. So I guess I'm doing it myself. <laughs> Unplug him. We're going live. All right. But so speaking um, of that, what are we here to talk about today? You know, we're here to talk about our relationship with video games. Ah, uh, yes. And watching the evolution of the medium of video games. Because obviously, for guys not picking up Last of Us, it's topical. Video games mm-hmm. are back in the discussion more so than they've ever been. And they're being seen as art properly for the first time, I think. I think, and this is a good example of where Rem and I come at things from different points of view. For example, Rem is big into the now. He's, yeah. he's big in what's going on now. The, and the rest of us, I already, already forgot it. Because I've never played the game. Well, no, um, game. I know, it, I know, it's got. I'm, you were talking about like the 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 TV show now that's on HBO. Yeah, yeah. Last of Us. Yeah, yeah La- Last of Us. But I never even played the Last of Us game. But where I'm coming from is so one of the podcasts I listen to, and I will give you the shout out. Love you. You're all the way up in Canada. Remember the game. Yeah, he great podcast. Um, he what he what the what he does is he pulls his audience for obscure games that he never played on any console. And then what he does is he plays it and he spends like a two hour episode like reviewing it. And he's a comedian, so he throws in that. 
The one criticism, and he does bring it up, that I, I do not like about his show is that he gets all of his spots and his ads out of the way right off the bat and then does his intro. So of those two hours, you have to go through like 30 minutes yeah. to get to the actual talking about it. But you know what? He's making a living, so. And he admits it. And he, and he says that. So I, I just pointed out it's nothing that he would never hear. He'd own that, too. So anyway, I don't know about you, but I kind of want to do similar to like that when we talked about wrestling, but with video games. Like, yeah. So where from like basically. So I'm a super nerd and Bob's more of a nerd who stepped off a little bit after yeah. PS2. first official like widespread was it coleco vision it's funny i'm glad you brought up coleco bro yeah. because coleco was like my dad's first power move because it was like you could have had an atari 2600 or a coleco so and he naturally did he just he got the coleco was stronger it was a stronger computer okay faster and and just better resolution and graphics so we had a coleco i didn't have an atari 26 growing up which is funny but coleco was amazing bro I actually played it when I was 18 years old. No shit. Yeah. So I played it. I mean, we're talking like 20 years past it. Weirdest prime. controller ever. It's like, oh, yeah. Fuck. It's got a phone number. It's got like, it looks like a phone pad. I was like, it's a mixture between a remote control and a phone. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> like, so to even us old analogers, like, we could even look at it and go, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Thing? 100%. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with this but thing. But yeah, that was, I mean, that was my intro. And it was, you know, all that for me, a lot of people grew up on Donkey Kong. My intro was Donkey Kong Jr. on Coleco. I was obsessed. I can still play the game blindfolded. So my first one was the Atari. I, the 2600. Yep. Yep. I loved it. It was great. We used to play it on an old RCA black and white 12-inch television. Battle tank. I games, mean, like do 12-inch televisions even exist anymore? No. Exactly. If, if anything, it's like a, a retro nostalgia. It, exactly. So all you youngins just bounced right the fuck out because you have no idea. Yeah, we used to have just... And even, I mean, you know, it was what? Four pixels on a screen, but you knew each Pretty one. Much. Oh, two of those are basketball players. Oh, um, two of those are tanks. You just your imagination filled in the blanks for Atari. Yeah, my and my favorite. So obviously, like pole position, it was amazing. It's a classic pitfall. Pitfall. Can I do another flex? Yeah. Coleco's big sell was pole position with a fucking gas pedal, brake pedal, and a hand and an actual steering wheel. Fucking Coleco Vision coming in big dick energy. So yeah, so that yeah, was like the thing I'd bust out when friend, when friends came over was like you drive an actual car and people bug the fuck out. Um, oh, what's that game? I don't want to, it's not Space Cuba? Invaders. No, no, it's not Space Invaders. Tempest? No, but it's like, you basically got to shoot the missiles coming out of the sky. Missile Commander. But it's like, yeah, but they're literally just lines. Yeah, it was Missile Commander. Yeah, that, I mean, for as simple that as that game was. That stressed me out. And Pac-Man. And, and Pac-Man. Yeah. Where, did arcades exist before, like, ColecoVision, or was it around the same time? Yeah, because my, here's the thing. Okay. I'm younger in my family. Um, my brother's seven years older, so when I was, like, fucking with Coleco... He was in Weymouth going to replay, too. I, I know the arcade. And it was like, so the big draw games back then were like Double Dragon in the arcade or something like that. Mm. Dragon, Obviously, Dragon's Lair. We talk about that game a lot, the fully animated one. Yep. But yeah, so they existed. But, you know, and, and I think it was a part of culture in the 80s, going to the arcade with a pocket full of quarters. So 
how big was uh, NES for you? Because that's when I, I would admit I, that's where my gaming, really oh. hardcore gaming starts. And my family didn't get it in like 1985 or 1986 or 87. We got it. It was a Christmas present to my brother and I. Yeah. And it, had, it was 1989. So the system's been out for five years at nice, that point. Nice. Yeah. And the benefit is that there's a lot of games that yes. came out that were reduced in prices. So when we got it, we got it with like 30 games. Yeah, that's cool. And so we got it with a pretty a pretty significant library library of games. Which makes a huge difference. Yeah. What were your favorite? I mean, before I go into my hit, what was your favorite? Like playing NES, I know a few that really hit me. What hit you? You realized that you were playing something that was kind of special or was going to help you through your childhood. Mario Brothers 2. I think, I think it's a criminally underrated game. You know what's crazy about Mario Brothers 2, Bob? It wasn't Mario Brothers 2. I know. That's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's what was released here because the officially the Jap... That's the other thing I wanted to bring up. In the 80s and in the 90s, there were regionally specific video games. Yeah. That, that's something that doesn't exist anymore. No. And if it does, it's very, very, like very, very small. Yeah. And what I mean by that is what Remy's getting to is that officially the sequel to the first Mario Brothers was released in Japan, and that was it. It was like Panic something, something Panic. Yep. And it had nothing. And that's why if you play Mario 2, you have to learn these extremely new, mm-hmm. like the whole grabbing things out of the oh, air. Power? And, oh, the pow? Come on. Bro, like, but it was a completely different game that they threw a Nintendo skin on. Yep. And, and it was dope. Yeah, and it worked. Birdie, it's one of the, it's one the birdie of the, you have to catch the eggs. It's one of the few times that something like that works. And I agree. Because to me, that was the first game I really got into that had a storyline. That was like captivating. It's building off the first one. And then at the end, yeah, we're not spoilers. The game's like 35 years old. Like you, you found out you were just dreaming. Yeah, it was like this weird. That's mad, That's uh, that's amazing. That's how you write off those weird sequels yep. too. It's like, nope, I'll happen in a dream because it wasn't a Mario um, game. I will give NES credit because it. It's one of the few systems, one of the few consoles that maxed out everything you could get out of it it in every way. And it's the first console that we had game developers starting to build storylines. Specifically for. For example, the first uh, Metal Gear. Yeah. And the second Metal Gear, which people don't realize because people think it starts with Metal Gear Solid. No, no. Which it it doesn't. There were were two Metal Gears before that. All the Metal Gear shit was in place. You couldn't, like... And you have to stories. smoke cigarettes to see the trace lines and wait till gods fell asleep. And the fact that there was the whole storyline was built on the NES games. Like yeah. the whole thing about Les Enfants, you know, the terrible children program, yeah. which is what Liquid and, and Solid Snake, Snake and all of them came out of it because they were basically um, clones. Clones. And yeah, I'm going to get into that because I do have a, one of my favorites. When we get into favorites, uh, one of them is part two is, well, it is a, it is a Metal Gear game, but yeah, it's, yeah. but it's not, we're, we're not there yet. Um, well, I wait, would, yeah. I would also say that. It the NES was the first time I experienced cinematic in a game in a game, and that yes. is the the opening to Ninja Gaiden. Standing on the hill, the, no, the battle between his father and that guy, oh, and they the run at each other the in the field. Yeah, and I mean that was just magical. That's a buys you in. By the way, it's still the most difficult game I've ever played. Yeah, the nine, Ninja Gaiden games were made to they not were made be beatable. They're not made not even with Game Genie. Yeah, I know Game even Genie with Game Genie. smoking. So for me, um, I was lucky because my parents divorced, and I think my mom or dad figured out pretty quickly that the NES was going to get us through that. So I got one pretty early and played with my brother and sister. And for me, it was, it was two games. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! And it was classic. Legend of Zelda. Legend Other of Zelda classic. was classic. the first time my mind had been blown by what could be done. Different quests, mm-hmm. saving it, the boss battles. Yeah, I think that, that but for me... I was an extremely sad kid and mm-hmm. lonely post the divorce. 
And I'm not going to lie. Yeah, those things were something. Playing match, all that shit felt like something. It felt like you were doing something. Now, what about once we got into the 90s? Were you a Sega or were you a Super Nintendo? Oh, dude, come on. You Take one look at me and guess. I would say you probably stuck with, with Nintendo. No, no, you're not thinking for your brain now. Sega, bro. All right. Well, Sega was the blood code. Sega was... Listen, Sega's advertising was the best advertising I've ever seen. They were... They were I would say they were like Pepsi. Sega does what Nintendo don't. They used the word of Nintendo in their battle ads. Yeah, because how they marketed it was, okay, Mario's safe, but what about this Sonic guy? Oh, yeah. Um, and and they really hit the ground. Sonic. And they really hit the ground running. Oh, so Sonic hard. the Hedgehog, Echo the Dolphin, Toe Jam and Earl. Even Sonic. Dude, I'm replaying Beast Sonic. Masters. Did you ever play Beastmasters? Altered Beast. Uh, th- was that the one where you could basically turn, yeah, depending Altered on what Beast. character? You were, that's a, that is an underrated game. Um, but yeah, I'm replaying the Sonic games with Jamie right now, bro. That is fantastic. On a PS5, which is hilarious, right? You go back to the old shit. But yeah, my relationship with Sega, I just, you know, I felt that it was cooler. I liked playing the JRPGs like Fantasy Star. I liked that they had games like Splatterhouse. They were just, yeah, they were the, you're right, it was Pepsi to Coke. So that was during a time when I think my family was was doing all right. So, and I bring that up because basically like my brother got Sega and I got Super Nintendo. Yeah. And we would, we would trade it every now and then. He was more into like sports games, and I won't lie. Sega blew that shit up. Yeah, like NHL '92 or NHL '93. Like Even that the, game. That bro, game was the shit. The Madden games, bro. And then he got World Series. Ba- World Series baseball was the first game where I was like, "Holy shit!" Because your point of view was the catcher. Yeah. And you, whether you're batting or pitching or whatever, and like, okay, I want to play a game at Fenway Park and be the Boston Red Sox, and like you're looking out, and it looks. Yeah, it was dope. For 16-bit, it looks like Fenway Park. Actually, like, do you Whoa. remember, for a Sega callback, um, who was it? Who had the first football game? Joe, fuck. Joe, no, Joe, you're talking Joe Montana? Yeah. Joe Montana football? I did play Joe Montana that football. That shit was yep. the first football game that a lot of people were like, oh, okay, yeah. Sega, Sega was shoot. Way better than Tecmo Bowl. Yeah, Because Tecmo Bowl was just run diagonally yep. and then run diagonally. But it was still fun as shit, though. And then sprint, 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 sprint. Remember Blades of Steel? Uh, Blades of Steel, Ding. amazing game. Still an amazing game. Yeah, still an amazing game to yeah. this day. But See, listen, we're grown men geeking out, talking about video games, and that's that's what I think makes it a remarkable medium. So any so Super NES, um, Mario World introduced us to Yoshi, and I, I like that. But that, to me, is the only thing that's, yeah, they that's were just good about remake. that. At that point, in my opinion, Nintendo kept remaking the same albums. But The Legend of Zelda, that came, the first one that came out on that one, that was a phenomenal game. Link to the Past. Yes, that was a phenomenal game. And then, for, and then Mortal Kombat. But it didn't matter what console you played Mortal Kombat on. It did, on. though. It didn't to me. It's because I played them on both, and I was like, no, okay. they played the same, but Sega had blood. I'm sorry, man. That was one of those things. Nintendo wasn't allowed to leave well, they didn't, have blood. Super Nintendo didn't have it until uh, Mortal Kombat 3. When they introduced combos and smoke. And they put blood in at that point? Yes. Oh, nice. Because yeah. I know that when I... But the big thing was Genesis Mortal Kombat has blood and Nintendo has sweat. Yeah. yeah like I said, like I, I remember playing the first one. I remember playing the second one. Yeah. Uh, loved playing as Baraka. Yeah, the sword yeah, arms. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until they, the third one when smoke came and they introduced combos 
and that was still, that you're, was you're that talking. Was we're getting right close to the big evolution of games. Yeah, yeah. Because in 1994, that's when uh, it changed. The game changed for many reasons. It changed for many reasons. Primarily, it changed because now we're playing game on games on discs. Yeah, Sony. Just yeah, was like, Sony. You know Sony, who had to up to this point had not been a big player. They were a player, but they weren't a big player. And it no, was a, they had no systems for PS. And I don't mean that. I mean they were part of developing. Oh, yeah, but they, and they're Sony. Yeah. So, 1994. What was the first game you ever played on uh, PlayStation? You want to know the first one I remember? Yeah. Crash Bandicoot. That's a good one. That's the first, and I remember spending hundreds of hours on Final Fantasy VII as well. Ah, uh, Final Fantasy. The seven. It's still one of the greatest. Uh, games yeah, ever. yeah. They just made it. They just announced the Final Fantasy Day as a holiday in Japan. That's really for Final oh, Fantasy Seven wow. specifically. It's called Final Fantasy Seven Day. So the first game I ever played was, it wasn't Gran Turismo, but it was like Gran Turismo, and you were racing. It was that you know, like indie car racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're in Monaco, and they yeah. close down the streets of Monaco, so that was my first. And and I remember just being like. Oh my god, this is different. Oh my god, these and then the movie cutscenes like that was the game changer of all games. I know, and then Re well, Resident Evil and Resident Evil was the one who changed. Yeah, and uh, but I look back on a lot of uh, Resident Evil and I laugh my ass off. Like Barry, oh yeah, just, like Barry, Barry hey. is, as the unintentional funniness of uh, anything. But uh, like Barry's like, here, take this power power gun. Here, oh, but Barry, what do you have? He pulls a dinky little gun. I have this. And just famous lines like yeah. that was almost a Jill sandwich. Yeah, and then yeah, and and the overall voice acting was uh, with no, it was nowhere near where it's come. Where don't it's gone. go in that door. Yeah. <laughs> it's still my favorite uh, line because we're still using like scrolled across screens. Yeah, for the most part. Like you know, but my favorite is oh, here's a clue. Yeah. It's a, it's the second part of Moon Knight Sonata. Would you like to play it? <laughs> and then you sit and you, and you play start it, playing it, it, and then a door opens, <laughs> and then you get the eerie music. But yeah, that and that was when I began to be like I think PlayStation is when people stopped fucking around. You I you know, I I played Resident Evil so much that I can probably beat the first game with my eyes closed, knowing the layout of the house and everything. And Sega took a risk. They like Nintendo Dreamcast? Yeah, but Nintendo said, "Well, we're going to still try to kind of Yeah, they always kinda, played it safe. Always. We're going to do Nintendo 64. I think Nintendo 64 is I hate that system. is it's my least favorite system, but it does have some Oh, it's got some quality 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 games. But Dreamcast took the risk, and they wanted to go the road of PlayStation, and they failed. And they were the first. Dreamcast was the first that had yep. online play, yep. co-op, fucking. Um, but and, yeah, they failed and, horribly. And it, 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 it they, they left the yeah, console. That was the end they, of it. They left the console game. Yep. They just went to play, to making games. And there are people who still. I love my Dreamcast. I was gonna say, what, what were your opinions of Dreamcast? I loved it. I never. I remember playing the first Sonic in Dreamcast. Yep. I'd never seen a game that looked like that. I never thought games would look like that at home. Did you ever play Guardian Heroes? Yeah, I was. That was probably oh. the best game on it. Yeah. Side scrolling, I, beat him up for just beautiful fucking. Two thousand one. My friends and I had graduated high school, and it was the summer before we went away to school and all that. And I went over to a friend's house, and we would just play that game in two-player mode. But when you play two-player, again, this was another problem with Dreamcast because it hadn't figured it out. Yeah. Is that um, how much, like, bandwidth that's going to take up? Two people doing combos. Yeah, yeah. Because no, you could have up to 150-hit combos and, and shit. And the game would freeze. Yeah, yeah I'm talking literally every would. Everybody out there, when I say freeze, I'm talking like we would walk away for, like, two and a half hours. Yeah. And then when we come back, and we could pick it up. Because you comboed so far ahead, and the machine just yeah. couldn't keep up. Yeah. yeah. Guardian Heroes is great. Um. And, you know, I think there were some other games, uh, perhaps, like, I remember there being some weird Japanese horror ones, too, but I yeah. don't remember them too well. But unfortunately, Dreamcast, it was too niche for some people. I think it was ahead of its time. A lot of yeah. people do. 
And then, you know, arguably the biggest transition, I think, in console generations is PS1 to PS2. think it, it, beyond just being playstation it's the biggest it's the biggest leap forward between what the consoles were to what they to became. what they to what they became yeah it was the true bridge 2000 between november and december of 2000 and so almost 2001 wait, we fucked up we skipped over gta 3 getting released on playstation and how monumental that was oh yeah 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 was that um how many GTAs were there that were on PlayStation? The first PlayStation. Well, they had the one and two, which were overhead though. Those weren't yes. those weren't traditional. And, and wasn't one of them took place in London, right? Yeah, I played the one that was in London. Yeah, that was great. You'd bazooka, you'd bazooka a cop, and he'd go up in the air, and then you'd be driving past a building, and there would be his body on the building. Yeah, I was no, like, wow, little was... Rockstar knew what they were doing yeah. early. Yeah, it was it was GTA three on consoles that really made people be like, holy fuck, mm -hmm. you could go anywhere. We'd never dealt with three D like that. Yep. Jack any car, do any kind open of mission. Open world. We'd, yeah. never, we'd never dealt with an open world like that. And that forever changed gaming. And the bulk of this, this episode, by the way, is going to be spent on the PS2 because it's, it's, it came out when we were in our late teens, early 20s. And that is what I feel defines us more than even when Microsoft gets into it with the Xbox, even though the Xbox has been released... They've released some banger consoles. Yeah, you know, and we, we kind of skimmed over that. We didn't mean to. Xbox was there with PS1. I had both of them. We, they were I amazing. Think, I think on the because we're going like chronologically, we just yeah. haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. So, but we're gonna spend the bulk of the time on PS2, PS2 because of how just magical of a system is it. So I know I did I skipped over this this game that was on PlayStation because in its early days it rivaled Resident Evil. You must know what it is. Legacy of Kane? No. No. Silent Hill. Oh, dude! So I think yeah. the Silent Hill series is better than the Resident I Evil do, series. I do too. It, I just think to it, a point. I just think that Resident Evil did a good job of getting it back with a four, or was it five? Four. Was that the one? But that's with we're the, jumping way ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so anyway. But you're right. Si okay, let's talk about like it's. You have a PS2 wanna, in front of you, and you have a Silent Hill two in Silent front. Silent Hill two. That was the game that my friends and I all anticipated. We all anticipated Silent Hill two coming out. I didn't predict how fucking brilliant it would have been. Yeah. Though. On many levels. Yes. It's just so subversive yep. and disturbing. You have the pharaoh, the pharaoh demon, like, raping mannequin Manikins. demons that are just the legs. And it's this is the first, this legs. is within, like, five hours into the game, and you're, like, you're in a closet watching yep. this. But then the Silent, <sighs> Silent Hill. I could go for hours. I know. Silent, Silent Hill, I do want to say, because they were the first game that took advantage of, like, powering a system to the point where you could take advantage of camera angles. You could take advantage of all that stuff. Because you remember in the first one when you would walk halfway down a hallway, the, the whole point fixed. of view, the whole point of view would change. Yeah. So it adds to the tension, and they would add in sounds that didn't go to any. Like I remember the bird cage. Yeah. You would hear a bird in this cage. You shine a light on it, and there's nothing in there. I mean, they, they little really, details like they that. They really though. added the level of terror and the static coming in when you're yeah. something's going to happen in the radio. When you heard the radio. Yeah, radio, what's going on with that radio? Like yeah. I'll tell you what's going on. Shit's about to go down. Yeah, it was remarkable. It and it was. It was very much feeling like okay, now we're 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 beating movies for for the stories here. We're we're crossing over from a medium that was known to delight children into because I mean when you get to the end of Silent Hill, we won't spoil it. Um, I guess we could, but what's the point? 
It, it, it's just really disturbing, and it has twists mm-hmm. that nobody as a gamer would have suspected. It was also a game that, depending on how you played it, gave you different endings. Different endings, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you know. I, was, were there any games that did stuff like that? Like they, that game gave probably, you like four endings. Like, yeah. There were four alternative endings you could get. I love that every Silent Hill has an ending where it's all just a dog yeah. behind a computer. Like, if you do bad enough, you'll go into a room, and it's like... It was all a dog. It's brilliant. Yeah. But a lot of them are just, oh, you killed your wife that you were looking for, and you raped babies and burnt people and killed people. Like, it's, it's brutal. But it's also like, okay, we got a real medium here, folks. And now I think we dedicate an entire segment to Rockstar. Yeah, well, too specifically. Yeah. You want to talk about, I think, no developer took advantage of the schematics they were given in preparation for the PlayStation 2, and no console fucking killed it like Rockstar did. Yeah, no, From 2000 just... to 2004, 2005. No, still, though. I mean, it's 2005, but they just leaked Grand Theft Auto 6, and people went nuts. But, I mean, like, let's go back, Rem. So, again, to December 2000, okay. PS2 comes out. Immediately, Liberty City is released. That's a game with radio stations when you're driving in a car. That, that's something that had never existed before. Open world. And by the way, teasers to other Rockstar games that were coming out were basically... That's, that's the first time we have games with Easter eggs. Wait, wait, though. I got I to gotta go back because I'm stuck. Liberty City. I thought that was just GTA 3. There isn't one called Liberty City, is there? I, I, I call it that. That's okay, me being fair, a, fair, fair. You, okay. can, you can say I'm being a snob. It's fine. No, no, like, I like yeah, that. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'd never yeah. experienced anything like that. They had professional actors doing the voices... Yep, so that game releases, and then in 2002, Grand Theft Auto 2 drops. Yeah. And Grand Theft Auto, I mean, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Sorry. I was going to say Vice Sorry. City. Yeah, Vice the City's second, my the favorite The second still. one on PS2, and Vice City changed, it even changed. So now they're doing, they're doing, they make their own bits, and they're playing like, they're really creating what the 1980s were, and they're doing great. They've started to add in pop culture references. Oh, yeah, and it's satire, and it's it's hilarious yes. voice actors you like, that they, the radio stations, it's we're now, and we're now getting like pretty, pretty not like known celebrities doing. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. People yeah. are trying to be um, DJs on that on that game. That was a big one, you know. And I, I think that it changed the landscape of gaming. But then Rockstar pulled a one eighty. Then they, then they pulled they pulled a wow factor when they when they released Manhunt in yeah. two thousand three. Manhunt was a game that, for all intents and purposes, probably shouldn't exist. Yeah, it's essentially, I mean, I know it's part of the storyline, but it's essentially a video game snuff film. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And and it's fucked. Like, playing it for me, I was young, whatever, being edgy, you know? But it, it genuinely disturbed me at points. Yeah. Yeah, I, f- I found it to be unlike anything I'd ever played. I found it to be invasive, meaning there were moments when I had to turn off the game because I felt dirty. Yeah, I know you brought up level three. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the, well, the end- we'll fill people in on what Manhunt is from the beginning and just give people a yeah. So Manhunt, basically, you're this guy on death row. James Earl Cash. And it's basically, you, you are led to believe you are put to death, but in reality, you're just sedated. And then this producer, played by br- the great Brian oh Cox. Oh my God, he's one of my favorites to this For day. anyone who doesn't know, he was in the 1986 Manhunter as Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, yes, he was the there first. There was a movie before Anthony Hopkins playing Hannibal Lecter. And I would argue Cox does it. He's yeah. more he's more conniving. Steely. I think I put it this way. They both put their own spins on it. Yeah. And they're both good. It's just Brian Cox's Brian Cox. Yeah. He's ama- yeah, and he's amazing. So he's the um he and he fills James Earl Cash in on the fact that, like, listen, I could kill you now, or 
you go around to these places. I'm going to film you and just essentially stay yeah. alive and get yourself out by you any got, means necessary. You got to admit that that somehow must have influenced the writers of Saw. Oh, I think I so. I mean, because Saw the, came out like literally two years. The after director that. voice, the yep. the grainy shot, making him do fucked up things. But like, so right away you're like, ah, oh, wait, and what so, do you mean? And so you're this game is billed as a stealth game. You're mm -hmm. supposed to be stealthy, and you get to this level three. Well, wait, been... let me even let me take it back a little bit. Just just so the initial game begins, and you're seeing yourself on uh, it, it's a, like a safety cam, like an overhead safety cam at like a park and he just tells you like you have to find the weapons and there's a couple other gangs each area has gangs with different face masks and shit and so initially let, let's say you find a bag on the ground and there's a guy a few feet away if you hold the bag for five seconds it's it's red if you hold the bag behind him quietly for 10 seconds it's yellow if you hold it back behind for 15 without getting spotted it turns green and every time it's a different cutaway death brutal kills yep. and just what remy's hinting at is the longer you hold it down the more brutal the kill's gonna be yeah so it's a patient reward system but it's also like is he gonna turn around and spot me so that's what you have for the first two levels and it's brutal like there's people like each area has gangs that dress in acclimated facial wear like smiley faces and shit but anyway but for me it took a turn to get back to what bob was gonna say it took a turn in level three yeah because at the end of level two that is that when you get abducted and they they take you to the they take they just drop you off at of this place and then again there comes Brian Cox telling you and showing you on videos, "Oh, we have your family here and you have to try to find them or you're going to die." And if you get for every time you get spotted, we are going to execute one of your family members. Yeah, and it's So you like, have to you have to stay hidden this entire thing or your family members are going to are going to die. Yeah. And and the other thing that I found really compelling about this section is the gang has a very in this section has a very what do I want to say almost as if the South won the Civil War. I was going to say they're very Bible Beltish. Yeah, very weird. And so there's that whole element. And so you have to stealth again and not get caught. But like if you do, because I was playing it, and if you do, they'll like light your, like, like tie your family member to a post and light them on fire. Can I be honest though? My first time playing through there, I got through there with being able to release everybody except for the last one. I believe it because that's the that's part of the main story. Yeah, line. you go through and you because I you think you've saved everybody, and then Brian Cox is like, no, 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 and then you get to see them execute one of your family members that you you didn't get a chance to, and then at that point, I mean, the main storyline is revenge for you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're whole hell bent on this. No one talks about this. This was very unique, and it still is unique. There are, I believe, there's a level in that game where you there's, it's, it's impossible to stealth. Like you just have to, you just have to go shoot them up. You have to find weapons. Yeah, yeah you, just, you just basically have to go on the attack with people, and so you're playing a stealth game, and then all of a sudden, literal 180. Yeah, that's the mall scene too. I remember shoot that a, shoot them up, and then it and then it slowly goes back to. It was jarring though. Go, goes back to stealth. And by the way, the 80s reference, the references in that game. Yeah. First off, you're playing the piggy. Let's motel hell. Motel Hell. If anyone's never seen it, it's a great B-rated horror movie from the 80s. And you're right. Like, the main enemy yep. in the game, uh, Manhunt, ends up being this human naked man pig thing named yep. Pigsy that carries a chainsaw. Yep. Literally. What the fuck? Like, okay. Like, like, just when you thought you saw it at all. Like, no, no. I, I, I'm going to admit, when I got to the Pigsy section, that last level, when he's hunting you. Oh, it's terrifying. It's fucking his noises. Yep. It's terrifying. I still will yep. say to this day. One of my favorite final parts of a game because I was relentlessly terrified. And what blows me away is that you knew, like I knew because I played all Rockstar games, that that was an Easter egg. The storyline to Manhunt was an Easter egg in 
Grand Theft Auto 3. 3, yeah, they which mentioned was, on the radio. And this game came out three years later, so that means they were planning on that for three years. And it yeah. comes out as a news story that the chief of police of Carson City... Capitals, whatever. Whatever city it yeah. is. The, Liberties, I don't know. The chief of police in this city that's in like a neighboring city to the one you're in gets arrested for corruption and for all this stuff, and there was a massive like murdering that's going on, and, that's, and it's manhunt. Yeah. And it leads into that, because he also uh, meets up with a reporter who knows the corruption, and they're both kind of... An, a contentious partnership? Yeah, yeah, fair fair to say. Yeah. And obviously, like, here's the thing. People flipped the fuck out when this game came out. X-ray. It was very tried to get it banned. It was banned huh. in Australia. It was banned in certain other countries. I mean, literally, there's a scene where you have to distract a guy from to get him to stop watching pornography. And, like, some of the kills, I'm sorry. Like, you get a sickle kill at one point in the game, and you're literally just chopping these guys' dicks off. And it was What's like, your favorite kill in the game, by the way? I think there was a sledgehammer kill that I really, really liked, but yeah. the only kill I remember from that game is no bullshit, is the sickle to the dick, and the way the guys would scream, it haunted me. Do you know what my favorite was? No. If you could get the extreme machete, because basically you would chop someone in their side, like in their ribs, yeah. so that naturally would drop them down to their knees, and they're making noises of like, and you'd cut it's their excruciating head and pain, it and then you just cut their head off. Yeah. yeah. That, but that's what I mean. This is stuff you're doing in the game. So obviously they, they were... Testing the limits of violence, I think, and they were. But I think art can be controversial. I loved the fucking game. It didn't make me want to hurt people. Right, I just loved right. it. I did think it was funny though. After playing the games like Grand Theft Auto, that if like someone cuts you off, in my mind, I was tempted at a red light to get to just get, get out, out, just beat them, steal their car, take their money. Like there was that initial, yeah. I think, with people who play open. It road didn't games. mean I was gonna do it. Or but. like when you drive and you see like a truck that looks like it's a ramp, and you're yes. like, I'm going for it, boys. No, and then so you kill a family of four. Now, some people out there may be saying, you guys haven't talked about Metal Gear on PlayStation 2. Where do you stand on Metal Gear Solid 2? Metal Gear Solid 2, I, both these solids, I think, are, have evolved gaming in ways that are impossible to measure. I think they're absolutely bonkers batshit. But I think they're beautiful. You know, Hideo Kojima is one of the geniuses, dude. He is one of the great storytellers in video games. Yeah, and he history. pushed that. He pushed the way. Even yep. some battles in Metal Gear boss fights are so goddamn original. Psycho Mantis on the PS1 is probably the... is No is, one's touched that in yeah. fucking 30 years. A boss fight yep. that makes you fucking unplug your controller because the boss can read your mind. No one in 30 years has figured out a way to use a controller and a console more compellingly than that. I do have to tell you, though, I understand why they did it. I understand the, the kind of setting up what was to come. But going away from Solid Snake yeah. for the majority of Metal Gear oh, Solid 2 me off. was disappointing. A naked man? Come on. <laughs> I th um, Char one of the kids where we used to work was playing Metal Gear Solid and got to that part. And I had to fucking not let him play the game anymore because the main character is doing naked somersaults. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Raiden. And and it's not it's, it's I almost want to come treat him like a real human being. It's like not it's, like, it's not your it's not your fault. No, he's been redeemed. They yeah. gave him that Metal Gear Revengeance game. He's been redeemed, but that's what Kojima did though. Kojima would say fuck you. So Rem, 
I will be honest, Metal Gear Solid 2 was a game I watched friends play. I didn't really get into that one. However, I did co- get into the third one that Three's came out. Three's insane. Yeah, Snake Eater? Yes. Yeah, Snake Eater. Sna- in my opinion, everything about that game... Is the best even, James Bond movie. Even, even took Metal Gear to a level that I don't think it's ever been. Oh, dude. You First want- off, its intro is lit. Yeah, is literally yeah. James Bond. You know, 007. walk away from the podcast for a second and come back. Go listen to the intro. Yeah, that's a great song, too. To Metal Gear 3 Snake Eater. And try not to want to immediately play the fuck out of that game. And for anyone, now we have to give it its backstory. Snake Eater takes place. You are playing Big Boss. You are playing Big Boss. Big Boss, yeah. You are playing as the original, not the clones. You are playing as the original Snake. Salt Snake. And it's the 1960s, and you're dropped in the rainforest of Russia because it's on the line of Asia, like China. Look at me smiling. I want to replay this game. I know, and it's a great... And it introduced you have to eat. You have to eat things, and you have to eat it within time, or it's going to go spoiled. Bad, yeah. Like it introduces all these. If you don't eat, you'll things. get sick, and your character will pass out in battle. And in my opinion, it has two of the most compelling, maybe three, maybe three boss fights. Uh, bo- just bosses, but the fights are incredible. Let me guess. Let me guess. Okay, because me and Bob haven't actually ran this by each other. Um, the end. Yeah, absolutely. That was the guy who was like 150 years yeah. old. And he's a sniper, and he has a he has a parrot that is old and decrepit and tired, like him, and has a bounce of energy. Like it's like, yeah, it's fantastic. Do you know what's crazy about his battle? That's my favorite. That's my favorite fight. Do you know in the, the game. secret about his b- battle about him? First of all, there's a cutscene in the very beginning of the game where he's hidden in a tree, and if you spot him, you can kill him at the very start of the game. I killed him before then, but I didn't kill him there. I killed him when you get to like you're in the the river. Yeah, and you go out to the clearing, and they're all just there, and they've wheeled him out. And then that goes to a cutscene. Yeah. If you kill him before that cutscene goes away, then you get to the the scene where you're supposed to fight him. Then you just have to fight a bunch of ghosts. No, nobody. Yeah. The other one, that guy who calls all the ghosts of the yeah, characters that's, you kill. That is one of the most frustrating yet haunting. Br- brilliant. And then obviously brilliant. the final fight in the game is just absolutely heart shattering. Yes. And we get to and we find out. We basically find out who was basically is the mother of for the terrible children. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Ava. Yeah. And you have to kill her. Yeah. Or you think you have to. Well, yeah. But I mean, they convince you and it's, it's, oh man, it's so fucking good. And and what's great is because that basically is shows you why Big Boss became against everyone he was fighting. Details like this. You had to have proper camouflage for any, like, of yes. the layouts. So if you have green camouflage in the green, you're good. You had to have red for, like, fire-burnt places. There were so many details of that game. Ugh. And then we find out that one of the great characters of the entire series, we find out that Boss, Boss. which was a female. Which and, is alone is surprising. Yeah, and we find out why she turns bad because of... Basically, the father of her child is the uh, boss who the big boss, with the like, spirits. Yeah. And, but w- what I'm getting to Guys, is, this is supposed to sound this convoluted. That's kind it, of part of its charm. What we get to is that one of the great characters of every, oh, pretty much, yeah, no, Since not the no, start. No, every single game was her son. Yeah. And that was Ocelot. And Ocelot, who was the like first a boss. triple, who was like a triple agent. But you go back, he's like, the first boss in Metal Gear Solid 1. Yes. Use all the ricochet shots to get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, but there's there you go. You know, like talking about taking the medium of gaming and taking it so far beyond what people expect. And I mean, and I remember that like little shit, like getting sick I didn't eat or eating a snake that got old. And and as frustrating as that stuff can seem, once you master it all and you get in the rhythm of the game, it's it's masterful. And I would say a game like that also. Bob isn't a modern gamer, but there's so many survival games now. 
where you have to hunt and cut up wood. And I would not be surprised if Snake Eater wasn't the inspiration for a lot of these games now. Rem, did you ever play any of the Tenchu games? I fucking love Tenchu. Yeah, I lo- I love the comedy. I love the uh, the hook. It was hard as fuck. And the percentage, it shows you the percentage you were hitting. But anyway, because we're on the PS2, Tenchu two. Yeah, you're you're basically it was a ninja game where you yep. had to be a ninja, and like if you didn't, here's the thing, and I love shit like this. Like if you got caught. You couldn't really win. Everybody in the place would just suddenly kill you. So you had to learn to literally. It's real, and which is yeah, way of being real life. You had to learn to do it all stealthily, and it was it was. I almost think now the comparison for like modern gamers who play games like Dark Souls that are brutally difficult. It's that same reward once you beat a level in Tenchu without getting spotted. Yeah. That feeling that you did it is so fucking good. That feeling of accomplishment. I got another one that I, I I'm gonna be honest. People are surprised when I say this, but I had no relationships with the Tony Hawk games. How about yourself? I feel like you must have. I did. Bob with, was big in the skate culture one, yeah. and punk culture. And I'll give a little backstory away from all this stuff. So yeah, my my brother, I was, listen, I was a tag along, but my brother found Gleaming the Cube. Christian Slater Yeah, movie. we've done a whole episode. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. it. So he found that. And then we literally, down the street from us, actually around the time when your mom lived in Whitman. Whitman, yeah. Uh, we would go to the boulevard. No shit. Yeah, next to the, next. this was a skate park, literally yeah. right next to a cemetery. And we would go there, and as like little kids, and we would see people like pull up badass stuff. Now the difference is remember my, how you could smell cookies up there? Yes, because of the toll house. Yep. Ah, uh, yeah, th- that mill, that yep. like mill that was where the bike barn was. Yep. the bike barn. Well, the original bike barn. So was. you'd skateboard, and it would just smell like hot yeah. chocolate and, cookies. And then oh, nat- wow. naturally, what was the video game that we, if we were into skateboarding, what was the video game on Nintendo that we were gonna play? Oh, on Nintendo. Was yeah. it Tony Hawk? No, it was Skate or Die. Skate or Die. Skate and or die. Skate or Die, I still think it's fun as hell. Oh, yeah. What's that? What, Lester? And 720. Remember 720, that, the other yeah. skate game? Yeah. Lester. That, but that was the dude with the mohawk, the asshole. Yeah, and the yeah. bees would chase you, um, right? You have to do like... But yeah, but yeah, I'm just giving a... Back, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm no, out. I know. I'm giving a backstory to Tony Hawk. Yeah, Tony Hawk came out. I was probably like a junior in high school. And my friends and I, again, we were still into skate culture. And I still had friends who skated. And it was just the... It was awesome because now you had the soundtrack that we would listen to anyway. So we didn't have to add it. Because that was a thing for for people, who, for niche games like that. For niche you turn games, the volume down and you turn, turn your own the, shit you, on. Yeah, you turn the volume down and put on whatever music Tony you Hawk wanted. Said, but Tony, Fuck you. Tony Hawk changed the game because now there was fucking amazing uh, music that were in those games. And then on top of that, you're doing tricks that aren't real. Like of you can't course. do these, but they're fantastic. Yeah, they're yeah. Fantastic. It's, the it's, Christ air. If someone could ever pull off a Christ air, that's when you like literally pose like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. that's literally you just tap, grab your skateboard and you do the Jesus pose, and you're in the middle of the air, and you're like spinning. You could do like a 360 Christ air. It's funny when everyone was into that. I was in. I was obsessed with a PS2 game called Cool Borders. It was mm-hmm. the snowboarding equivalent of Tony Hawk, and for some reason, I was obsessed. But by that point, my brother had transitioned from skateboarding into like. Uh, X Games biking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So naturally, what was the biker equivalent to that game? I forget. Mirin BMX. Yeah, Dave, Dave Mir. Yep. And that game also fantastic. Yeah, Not it looks. I never played it, but it looks fun as fuck. That, and and unfortunately for this episode, like that's as far as I can go with Tony Hawk because I didn't really get into any other Tony Hawk game. That look, first one. That first one. Was, listen, was I'm gonna wonderful. make a little plug here. There's a system, Bob. 
It's called the Me You Mini, okay? This is right now. I, I just found out about this fucking thing. This big, looks like a Game Boy. It's 40 bucks. Dude, it comes with every video game ever made up to PS2. That's a lot of video games. I might get you one, man. I might get you one of those. Thank you.